Good morning, everybody. It is April 6th. This is actually a Tuesday, not a Monday, and I think I'm going to start switching to Tuesdays because it might be a little bit easier for me to make this work. Welcome, welcome, welcome to No Easy Answer, the podcast where we dive into amazing topics uh, from a biblical perspective where we can look at all sorts of intersections of life, society, individuals, topics, themes, ideas, concepts, practices, um, life in general, and look at it from the perspective that God is entering into this world and bringing his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven to be fully fulfilled, as we know, in a new world and a new creation that is coming soon upon us. We have been talking, or I have been talking, about violence for a very long time now, and I've been trying to go in this alphabetical order, and last week I talked about genocide, and then I was thinking, okay, what's next on my little list of alphabetical order stuff? And I realized I skipped something. You know, I, I, <laughs> I thought of something else in the G's, I'm like, wait a minute, there's something even before that that's also a G, and I just, I did a face palm, I could not believe it, I said, how did I skip this, this is like, wow, this is, this is probably one of the most common, not common, but the most exemplary forms of violence that most people think of when they think of violence, and it's, it's also the G, but a GA, it's gang violence, I thought, oh my goodness, how did I skip that, because I know I'd thought about this episode long, long, long ago. And uh, that is something I, I've always wanted to dive into uh, and, and with this podcast to look at because this is definitely one of those which is most, most, most appropriate for uh, this type of podcast because this most certainly is not an easy answer because it is an easy answer. Because when we talk about gang violence, the first thing that people are going to think about, and I'm not going to do just a brain association because I know you already have images in your mind of some gangster out there doing something, but when you have those images, they're not positive images. I'm guessing uh, for the most, most people listening to this, I'm guessing most people are not going to have a positive association with gangs and violence. That's not something that someone says, yes, let's celebrate. Most people would say that's a problem. And with the idea that this is a problem comes now one of two things. One, who is to blame for this problem? Or how do we fix this problem? Uh, and, And let me just start out on the blame game first, because and, and it's interesting how we think, and I'm not, I'm not saying that the way that we're thinking about this is the correct way either, so, so hear me out here. I'm not jumping on this like, yeah, let's solve this problem, or let's blame someone for this problem. That may not be the actual best way to go about this, and we'll, we'll talk about what that is in a second. Uh, the blame game. Who's to blame for this? Why are there games? Is it a societal problem? Well, the answer is simple. Yes. Is it an individual responsibility problem? The people that are individually conformed to the gangs? Yes. Is this a, a political policy problem? Yes. Is this an economic problem? Yes. Is this a family-based problem? Yes. So if we're going to go into the blame game, really, there's plenty to go around because the answer is very simply and very quickly, 
Yes. And I'm not going to be caught into some sort of false dichotomy saying, oh, it's all this group, or it's all that group, or it's all this, or it's just that. No. We cannot go down that road of simplifying things and saying it's just this one thing, and that is the source of the issue, and if we can eliminate this one thing, then we'll solve the problem. And we're going to see later on how that type of thinking is extremely dangerous and has cost, I'd probably say, hundreds of thousands of lives at this point. Um, trying to do simple thinking on this and not reacting in such a way. And, and this is we're going to see how this plays out time and time and time and time again when we look into this. Um, and so this is actually going to be a two-parter. To, uh, this first part, we're going to talk about what gangs are and kind of some biblical perspectives on it, um, some stories. And then part two is going to be going into some bigger issues that are going along, and one particular it, bigger issue is illustrated by one particular thought. So, one particular example. But we'll get to that. We're going to get to that. So, uh, all that to say, we're just coming out of uh, the Holy Week. Holy Week was last week, um, this time where we celebrate Easter, we celebrate the resurrection of Christ, and remember the crucifixion of Christ. Thankfully, my boss is amazing, and he gave us off a good Friday, and I was working my butt off on Good Friday, which if you're in Latin America, there's all these little superstitions about Holy Week, where it's because most people get that, that time off. Holy Week is at least in where I was at in South America, it tends to be the hottest week of the year. So it's kind of like summer. So imagine it's like everyone has summer vacation all in the same week. And yet it's, it's within this context of the Holy Week. And there's all these little traditions and everything that come along with it. Everyone makes uh, sweets and all sorts of dulces and um, things. So you can make sweets out of anything you can imagine. So obviously there's coconut and pineapple. And there's coconut and pineapple and raisin put together and all this kind of stuff. And they mix it up with like this molasses uh, brick type product that's made from the, the processing the sugar cane and boiling down and they're really good um, and they have all sorts of different types of things depending where you go a lot of people are just going to eat fish all during uh, Holy Week so there's just lots of dried salted fish everywhere and the whole thing just smells like fish it, it's an interesting place but one of the things they say is that if you're out if you are if you're hammering during Holy Week you're hammering the nails into the hands and feet of Jesus if you were to wash your clothes during Holy Week, then you're washing and drowning Jesus. Things like that, which is just silly. Just absolutely silly. In any case, I understand why some poor priest many, many centuries back said, Hey, everybody, we're going to have this week off so nobody's working. Okay, people tell, masters, tell your guys to stop working this week so we can celebrate Jesus. And then they're like, I'm going to go home and get some stuff done at home. And he's like, no, I don't want you doing that because you got to be thinking about everything that Jesus did for you. So don't work. And so all these little things came out of that. Good intentions, but okay. Whatever. In any case, um, and again, I don't know if that's how it actually played out. I'm just, I can imagine that's how that happened. I've, I have no basis for making that claim. I, I, my, my apologies. In any case, I was working on Holy Friday. I was trying to get some stuff done in the garden, and then so we had some uh, cakes that I needed to deliver. So I delivered some cakes. And I was listening to the radio, and I kind of flipped back and forth between different radio stations. And I ended up landing on the, the Catholic radio station, which I listen to sometimes. And they're doing the Stations of the Cross. And there's some things in there. I'm like, okay, I don't know where you guys are getting this from. Uh, but there's some good stuff in there. And I was just really, really impacted. Um, I just had a very deep Holy Spirit moment just 
diving in into the suffering of Jesus on his way to the cross. It was, oof, man, I was living cakes and I was trying to hold back tears. I'm like, here's your cake, ma'am. Okay, thank you, thank you. Then I, and then you get back in the car and keep listening. And it was just, wow, it was very, very, very impactful. Um, and one of the things I just kind of felt God saying into it is like, can't really get to Resurrection Sunday unless you go into into the crucifixion on Friday, and, and to the depth that we're willing to enter into the crucifixion, crucifixion on Friday, the more we will experience the resurrection on Sunday. Um, and I don't know, being evangelical growing up, I think there was a lot of focus on just Resurrection Sunday, and we kind of skipped over the rest of it. And I think there's other places in the world where the focus is only on the crucifixion. There's not much time spent on the resurrection. And they both need to go hand in hand. So it's a yes and yes. Um, It's not an either or. They both need to be there. Because they're both part and parcel of the same package. There is no resurrection without the sacrifice. There is no coming back from death unless there is death. Um... And Jesus is very clear. It's like, if you want to live, you've got to give up your life. If I want to live, I have to give up my life. And so entering more into that crucifixion and the suffering of Christ is the path towards resurrection. Um, with that to say, going back to our topic, when Jesus was crucified, he was crucified as a criminal. He was treated as a criminal. He was uh, punished as a criminal. He was crucified between two other criminals, and the Gospels, depending on your translation, will identify them as robbers, or revolutionaries, or rebels. And that is a lot of the people, the folks that are in gangs. That's who Jesus was crucified with. Uh, He was crucified with what everyone considered to be a problem. There they are. That's the problem. This is the solution of the world. Kill them. Get rid of them. Destroy them. Undo them. <clears throat> Banish them. Take them outside the city. Get them out from among us. Remove them from among us. And yet Jesus, in his last act of ministry, was there among them was not there to say, this is a problem, here's how you fix it. He was not there to say, this is, who's to blame for this? He was there just among them. <clears throat> and so as I talk about gangs, I, w- I want to keep that in mind, always. Jesus was crucified between the two criminals. He identified with them, and he took on the identity of a criminal in his death. And we serve a criminal, accused criminal Lord. That is our Lord and Savior, the one that died as a criminal and brought us all life, criminals and non-criminals alike. As if none of us had ever broken the law. Let's be honest. We've all broken the law. So, let's proceed. What is a gang? Now, there's, there's lots of definitions of gangs, and you can even, turns out there's something called the National Gang Center. It's, it's something created by I don't know who, uh, and they have lots of data. Data kind of dies out as of 2016. There's really no other data after 2016. I don't know what happened. 
around 2016, the National Gang Center just kind of stopped doing its thing, or maybe they publish every four years, but they're behind with COVID. I don't know. I feel sorry for every single group that's trying to publish data. From here on out, there's just going to be this real wonky dip right in 2020. <laughs> you know, like, oh yeah, COVID. Oh yeah, 2020. And then we have this trend here, which is broken by 2020, of course. So I don't know how many thousands of gallons of ink and how many millions of electrons can have to be spent just on describing why 2020. Anyways, back to the idea. National Gang Center has some definitions of gangs. Uh, some states have definitions of gangs. Different federal agencies have different definitions of gangs. Some things in common. Three or more. <laughs> Can't have a gang of two. Not going to happen. Got to have at least three people. Three or more people. Uh, many times identified by symbols, by symbology, by signs, by colors, by something that identifies them as a certain group. May have a hierarchy, may not. May have a strong leadership, may not. Uh, engaged in criminal activities, engaged in something that is breaking the law and is outside the law. Now, there are some things where we have to distinguish between gangs and mafias or cartels or, or other organized criminal organizations. And I'm probably not going to do a podcast on mafias or cartels or other criminal organizations because I've kind of talked a little about cartels in another podcast, not dedicated to it, but kind of mentioned it in passing. And, and I'm probably just not going to go there. I feel like what I'm going to talk about here is probably enough to cover some of that. And I don't want to beleaguer the point. But they're different in, in the sense that I think most of us, when we're going to think of a gang, we're, we're thinking of young people. We're thinking of, of groups of young kids that are getting on the street and who knows what they're coming from. And they're, they're joining into these groups that are uh, outside the law and they're not there. And when we think of the mafia, we're thinking there's some gray hairs in the mix. There's some elderly sage wisdom going on that's directing nefarious uh, activities but it's probably a little bit organized. It's not as passionate as gangs can be. Um, still doing criminal stuff. Still doing bad things. Still doing killing and trafficking and drugs and all this kind of stuff. And probably making more money than gangs. Uh, so it seems to be a little more sophisticated, we should say. Um, and yet, and, and because of that, for some reason, I think in society, we kind of have a little better acceptance of these established crime organizations and we look very disfavorably upon the gangs. The gangs, there really is no space for them uh, within the society. We would just like to have them eliminated. That's that's the just general process I get to. And, and let, let's dive into that part right there. Many, 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 many years ago um, I visited a ministry called Tierra Linda. That's actually where I got you'd say activated or, or filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, awesome guy named Bob Ekblad, and there's a there's another guy there named Chris Hoke, who is, I think, I don't know what happened, but he now has his own ministry. Um, probably with the blessing of Bob, I'm just kind of guessing. Um, and so they do a lot of ministry to, uh, to gang members, where they're at. You can look them up, and I totally blanked on the name of uh, Underground. That's the name of, of Chris's ministry, Underground. So he does a lot of work where he is going into jails, he's going to the streets, he's working with gangs and whatnot. And I, I've done some street ministry, but honestly, I've not done a lot of work, direct work with gangs. So I'm going to keep myself quiet in this one. I'm just going to work off the beautiful work of other folks. Chris is a very talented writer. Uh, he, he's written a book, and I'm blanking on the name of that book. Uh, 
earthquake, I want to say, earth, I don't know, um, if you go to the underground website, you can just look up his book and you can see it there, underground ministries, I think it is, and, uh, you can't find it on Amazon, so you're gonna have to go to Barnes and Nobles or somewhere else, uh, to get it, so, uh, I've not read this book, so I, I cannot vouch for anything that's in it, but, um, I was reading some other articles by Chris, he had, a, he had this one article he wrote many years ago, um, talking about the similarities between gangs and nations. And it's a very short article. I'll look it up. You can look up Chris Hoke, that's H-O-A-K-E. And one of his, you know, things is, listen, a lot of people think gangs are just kind of these organized, but semi-unorganized, you know, groups of kids and whatnot. He's like, but these, they act just like any other nation would. They have a defined territory. They have spaces that they're in and they mark it, and they declare it, and whenever someone violates their territory, they respond the same way a nation would respond if someone violates their territory. They declare war. They're going to go out. They're going to defend their territory. At the same time, they want the same jurisprudence, we'll say, to be able to walk into any of those territory without repercussions, just like many countries like to go into somebody else's country and do whatever they want there without any repercussions. Uh, and they have their own symbology, they have their own leadership, they have really everything that a nation has, that's what a gang has. They require loyalty, they require, uh, you know, a, a certain degree of, of uh, like, pledging themselves to the gang, just like many of us would pledge allegiance to a flag. It's the same type of idea, it's just, you know, a nation is official and a gang is not really considered official. And he says at the same time, when he challenges gang members to forgive people from other gangs. It's like, what? We can't do that. <laughs> Same way that many nations can't forgive other nations for things they've done. Uh, it's like, well, you need, what What about, as a Christian, uh, Chris is saying this, what if you were to try to, uh, you know, let it go? If someone commits an offense, you forget the offense, you forgive the offense. You can't do that. What would happen if you do that? Then does anything would go wrong? Same thing you'd say to a nation. What if you just didn't prosecute these offenses. You can't do that. You got to take care of the criminals. (laughs) So there's some very strong similarities between gangs and nations because they are authorities. These are things that are coming under authority and they do have certain authority within them. They're created. They may not be quote unquote official. Maybe they don't have a, uh, they don't have a, uh, I don't know, a seal. (laughs) They don't have (laughs) They don't have a, you know, thing. They don't have, they have a seal on it. You know, we've got seals to declare the country. Maybe they don't have a flag, but they do have their symbols. They have everything. They have all the, the parts of a nation. And if we were to take these gangs and drop them 4,000 years past in the history, they would very quickly form their own nation. That would not take very long for that to happen. And we can see cases of that in the Bible as well. So, getting back to the point, uh, I was looking up some of Chris's articles and, and going through that in, in preparation for this, and, and he had a really interesting article uh, about a review of the movie Joker, which I don't know if you remember that movie. It came out, I think, just before the pandemic hit. Um, you know, Joker from Batman, they, they made a movie kind of talking about him. And he was, as he was, he went to go see the movie, and he was more frustrated with the reviews of the movie than with the movie itself. He, he definitely identified with the movie. Working with people that come from gangs, hearing their stories, understanding where they're coming from. And he said most of the reviewers, people just didn't want anything to do with the movie. They're like, well, why would I even want to know the backstory of Joker? There's no reason to do that. 
he's the bad guy. And I'm not going to sing the song, sorry. But he's the bad guy. Why would we even want to hear about his story? And he says, that's so typical of us in general, that we don't want to hear the stories of the bad guys. We just want to say they are the bad guys. Because as long as we can just say that group of people over there is evil, then we can just banish them. We can justify the heroic work of undoing them. We can justify the heroic work of killing them. We can justify the quote-unquote heroic work of making them disappear and no longer cause evil among us. But he says, when you talk to these people that are on the streets, when you talk to these gang members, he's like, a lot of these guys even have the same type of tattoos. They got the, the, the clown eyes up above and, and down on their eyes. They, they have stories very similar to the story of, of the Joker. Now, if you've never seen the movie and, and you consider yourself a person who doesn't like watching violent movies or movies of that sort, don't watch it. You're not, <laughs> you know, but if you've seen the movie, yeah, the, I'm not going to go into it, but it, it basically tells the backstory of a very troubled individual and all that, the trauma he's been through and how that trauma converts himself to become a very sad individual that does very horrible and atrocious things. And again, that's where I get back to my little blame game thing. Is it society at large? Yes. Is it the individual? Yes. Uh, I'm not going to say it's just one or the other because it's both. Everyone has their own personal responsibility and yet everyone can suffer at the hands of society writ large. Both need to change. Um, If you want to see real change. If, that is, you really want to change. But again, most people don't want to see change. They just want to see, oh, that's bad. I want rid of it. I want out of it. I want it gone. Let's just undo it. Uh, and he says, that's really what the critics were doing in this movie. They didn't want to look at it. And it's like, ah, oh, you know, it's like, he said even one critic, you know, it's like, oh, this was so uh, manipulative. He said, well, at least this critic felt something. At least this movie provoked some sort of sense of empathy. But the fact that it provoked a sense of empathy for the bad guy... I mean, oh, this is manipulative. I don't like it. I shouldn't have to feel anything for the bad guy. I shouldn't have to uh, have a sense of empathy for the bad guy. No, the bad guy should just be gone. With this, again, let's remember Jesus there with the criminals. He's there with them. That doesn't mean all criminals repent. That doesn't mean they all start doing good things. It's not what I'm saying. But at the very minimum, he identifies with them. Um, and we just want to say that ah, the criminal, no, we want to get rid of it of it we want to get rid of, of, the, of this thing that's among us we, we've dehumanized a person that is made in the image and likeness of God now biblically speaking there is much biblical basis for that type of attitude and, and, and I'll look at that we read the Psalms. It's very common that we hear about evil men or evil people, evil doers, these people that are lying in wait to ambush the poor and the needy. Uh, we're hearing people that just want to do violence, people that just talk about all the amazing, horrible stuff they've done and how they're looking to destroy people. You see this, and this, this I think, would apply both to gangs and to more serious organized uh, criminal uh, groups or even organized official groups. There are 
groups of violent people that are just looking to destroy and they find pleasure, they find laughter in causing suffering and death upon other people. And David is saying, listen, I'm on the short end of this stick here. (laughs) These guys are coming after me. They want to do this. One of them was the king at the time. Uh, And then there's other groups that wanted to undo him. And he was having to deal with them. And he's like, Lord, have mercy on me. Have mercy on the poor and the weak that don't have anyone to defend them. And they're being taken out by these guys left and right. Have mercy, undo them. And he starts to declare prophetically that these guys, you're going to look for them, you're not going to find them. You're going to try to see where their descendants are. They're not going to have any because God's going to take care of themselves. He, God is going to take them out. They're going to probably take themselves out. They're going to undo themselves. They're going to attack themselves and cause their own undoing. Because of this, um, there is this thought that, okay, all these, all these bad people in there, that's, that's, that's the reality. And trust me, If you've had experiences where you've been on the short stick, where you've had to deal with this kind of stuff, it is very frustrating. You don't want to deal with it. Uh, You want to be freed from it. I'll tell you a story when I get back out of work about um, one time in Columbia where we're dealing with, with some issues. And we'll get back to that in a second. And back. So I tell this story, uh, just kind of my own frustration and, and just to, to show, I think, how easily uh, and perhaps correctly and perhaps incorrectly, probably more incorrectly than incorrectly, um, one can just fall into this desire to, to wish the people that are doing evil just to disappear. And, and I feel like this is a sentiment that can, that can show up anywhere, not just with gangs, not just with young kids, not just with violent kids per se, but just with anyone. Um, and especially with groups, and whenever we, we begin to say they, the group, uh, it becomes very easy just to wish for their disappearance. And, and again, violence becomes this solution to a problem, this effective solution to a problem. Um, and then I'm going to talk about also some of the motivations for joining gangs, so we'll get to that in a second. So in Colombia, there was this time where, um, and I, I can't really show this starting to talk, uh, there's a time we moved this this neighborhood, and we, we moved around a lot in Colombia. Uh, I I was no longer working as a missionary; I was just working as a school teacher. My wife was working as well, and um, we were pregnant with our second son, so he was recently born. So she had to uh, drop work just to take care of him, and so we had all of our family living with us as well. And uh, <clears throat> so, one particular area where we went was really the same area that my wife grew up in, same same neighborhood. And the people that were into this house told us, like, hey, just, just like, I'll let you know, there's some kids that sit in the corner, some guys that sit in the corner, and they can be problematic. It's like, well, all right, we've done Venezuela. How bad it can it be? I mean, come on, we can <laughs> try this. So we tried it, and it was it was difficult to say the best. Um, some of the, the youth that were involved in this group, they were, uh, they were friends of my wife and her brothers when they grew up. And they know each other, and so, you know, we were able to talk with them and everything. That, that was good. That was not a problem. And there was a lot of good ministry that we were able to do at that point there. At the same time, I was not in a stage of my life where I was thinking ministerially. I was working two jobs and basically from before sunup to well after sundown, um, Monday through Friday. And I was just exhausted on the weekends and also had a, a newborn that was crying like crazy and not getting much sleep. So I, I was not the most gracious person on the planet at that point. 
and these kids, uh, some of them were from the neighborhood, but a lot of them were just coming from other neighborhoods and they were involved in not good things, a lot, a lot of drugs. And they would just sit on the corner right where this house was at and they would sit there and just consume marijuana or other drugs. And the place we were at in Columbia was very hot and we did not have air conditioning. And if we did have air conditioning, there's no way we could pay to run the air conditioning. It was ridiculously expensive to run air conditioning down there. So we always had to have the windows open because it was just so dang hot. And obviously with the windows open and them smoking, that would just blow right in the house. And there's my son right there inhaling secondary marijuana smoke. And I'm like, this is bothering me. And we try to go to sleep and they'd be out there at night partying. It was just this complete, you know, lack of respect. And we talked to them like, hey, can you guys turn it down? Can you? I don't know. We got our kids here. Just don't smoke in the window. It's like, oh, yeah, okay, okay. And then five minutes later, they do the exact same thing. And then they're out there, they're swearing and cussing, which, I mean, that doesn't bother me per se, but I got my kids and they're listening. And just beyond just my daughter, who was older at that point, but also uh, my cousin, who's also living with us at the same time, and he's young and impressionable. It just, it just, it wasn't one thing. It was just the constant presence and the wearing down just day after day after day and hour after hour. It just got to you, just got to you. And so, um, we just got to the point where we were just like, yeah, we were on a very, very, very short string. Uh, finally my, I mean, and I found myself just being filled with violent thoughts, wishing they would go away. Just imagining, wow, I wish God would just call down a rain of lightning and just kill them all right in the spot. Or just imagining, uh, if I had a machete, I could go out there and how, how many could I take down before they got me? Obviously if I were to do that, I would die. My family would die a very terrible death because there'd be very bad repercussions and whatnot. And we'd be messing with very powerful, large groups that are <laughs> this whole deal. And it was just ugh, frustrating. And I found myself just getting more and more frustrated and just wishing and praying and desiring they'd go away and leading myself into a very negative, not filled with grace spot. And I was in a spot where I was like the psalmist, like, Lord, do you not see this? Look at these evil people and all da 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 and just ugh, desiring just for them to, to go away and just to be dead and be gone. Um, finally, my wife at one point, she broke and she went out there with a, with a, with like a cooking pot and a metal spoon and started banging the crap out of it, which is called a casarolazo. It's like where you just go nuts and you start banging it. It's loud. It's annoying. And so they're like, what are you doing? And they're like, I'm, you know, she just said she had enough. She ran them off. And so, um, a few minutes later, the, we didn't know, but the leader of this group showed up and he's like, Hey, what's going on? And so she explained everything to him. He was like, listen, we're running a business here. We don't want any problems. We're going to make this work out. Don't worry. And so for the next two, three weeks, everything was good. And then it just went back to what it had been before. Yeah. So eventually we moved. Eventually we, we moved away. We found another spot, moved out of there. And, and that was that. Uh, we actually ended up moving back a little bit later than our summer families moved in. It was just this kind of long, drawn out relationship. Uh, it was not good. And, and sadly, and there was one night after my wife had gone out there and, and done this. We did not know this. This was the grace of God. But they were looking to get us. They were looking to, to rough us up. Um, they were waiting for us one night to, to get us. When we came back, we had been gone. I think uh, it was a Sunday night. We were visiting some of our family in a different part of town. And for whatever reason, we just took too long to get back. They got tired of waiting, and they left. And I think that was the grace of God that they, they left when they did because apparently they were looking to, to do us some harm. Um, and so that was, thank you, Lord, because that would have not ended well. And I'm sure I would have exploded and that would have just gone who knows what. Um, I'm not a martial arts master nor nor a novice. So I don't know what we really would have been able to do there. But I know I was ready to go. I was ready to explode. And and that would have just ended in something very ugly. And, and thank you, Lord, for saving us from that. 
uh, that truly was the salvation of God. In any case, I just share that because I understand. I understand that there's just this, uh, this issue that just drives me nuts because I'm here doing my best to just try to put food on the table. And that's all it was in Columbia, just trying to pay the bills and not get too far behind. And, and even with me with two jobs, we just weren't doing it. It just wasn't cutting it. So imagine a person that has no jobs trying to do that. It, it, there's no way. And and these kids are just out there and they're selling drugs or doing drugs or whatever. And they're making a good go at it. And they're, and they're just having a ball. And they don't care about anyone else. They don't seem to mind about anyone else. And it's just ugh, frustrating as all get out. And it's just, yeah. So um, it was just, it was war and, and ate. It just ate at me. Ugh. So, I, and I've had to go through a lot of repentance and, and forgiveness and whatnot. And and a number of those kids, you know, and we talked to the police, the police would show up a little bit, and that, that really didn't do anything either. So if you're wondering how that works. Um, and so... Sadly, a lot of those kids are now dead. I hate to say it. Uh, the Psalms have, have kind of uh, completed themselves. And I don't feel good about it. I don't feel good that they've, they've died. I, I don't feel good about it. It's just like, Lord, ugh, why won't why won't they repent? Why won't they change? Why won't they, they come around and stop doing evil? And, and when we were ministering to a lot of them, some of them knew like they, this is not good. And they wanted out. They wanted out. But they knew that there was just a, such a complicated structure there that if they tried to get out, their days were very numbered. Uh, so, all I have to say, uh, and again, that wasn't really necessarily even a gang. That wasn't even like a, your typical North American street gang, where you have a, a much stronger sense of unity, much stronger sense of being belonging to something, and there's much higher repercussions for acting out or for leaving or for breaking the rules of the group. It, it's it's a much stronger structure sometimes here. Um, So I understand it. I get it. I get it. And and the thing is, wanting and desiring for things just to go away and disappear, or even taking steps to make them go away and disappear, does not solve the problem. I don't think that's really perhaps what God wants of them either. I'm going to go back to Chris Hoke and, and the story I was reading about him where uh, this one kid he was trying to follow, and this is the story about the, about the Joker again, and his article about the Joker He's talking about this one kid. He he really became, you know, the the Joker, and so he was in a supermax prison, just, just the most violent guy of all the prison. You know, they had him in, in isolation. He had attacked I don't know how many how many prison guards over you know how many days. It was just ridiculous. This guy was just lashing out like crazy, and so Chris began to minister to this guy. He began to visit him and just talk to him and try to understand where he's coming from, what his story was, and just to listen to him and hear him out. Um, and then to begin to speak into his life and, and to do that. And so he just, and, and this kid that was done, I don't even know what he'd done. Um, you know, but he'd done himself in, in prison and I'm sure he'd done something not good to get there. Uh, but it's just, you know, he began to say, they, they treat me like an animal cause I'm in a cage. So what do they expect? I'm going to act like an animal. I'm going to lash out I'm gonna do things that are violent because that's how I'm being treated. That's the only thing I'm known as. Um, and so Chris talked about how, after ministering to this guy for a while, there came a point where he, he told Chris, hey, you know, I, I made a new shiv. I'm going to go attack the guys, whatnot. And Chris was encouraging not to do it um, and praying into that. And apparently, with the next time the, the guards came by to his cell, he handed over the shiv. He said, I, I confessed. I said, hey, I made this. I was going to attack you with it, but I, I don't want to do that. Here, take it. 
And that was the first time <laughs> he said that it had ever, ever happened that this person had not been attacked. And, and, and the amount of violence from this individual just dropped and almost disappeared. Simply by being a presence of God in his life, listening to him, giving him hope, showing an alternative, and, and treating him as something different than what all society want to treat him. And at the same time, probably what he himself was looking for. And let's, let's go there. Why do kids get into gangs? And, and again, this is, this is no easy answer. There, there are multiple reasons, multiple motives. And, and to say it's just one thing is, is to drastically reduce uh, the issue. There are cases, there are cases where kids will just do it out of boredom. They just got nothing else going on. And it looks kind of fun. And they're like, oh, that looks cool. Let me just do it and try it. And all of a sudden, they're in it. They're hooked. They're part of it. And it's hard to get out. And once you start dealing with that, you find this group of community that is your group of support. This group that is going to identify you, give you an identity different than what you had before, and is going to give you a family, essentially. It's going to give you a home. It's going to give you something that you might not have been had before. So in this case of these kids that are just bored, uh, they're probably unsatisfied with their home life, whatever situation that may be. Whether it's a good home life or not good home life, they might just be bored of it and just want to try something different. And so they try it. Once they're in it, they're in it. They find something else. They like it. They might not like it. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of stuff they don't like and there's some things they do like. And so they ended up just sticking around because that might be better than going back because going back means you have to admit that you made a mistake admitting you make a mistake requires a large modicum of self-esteem and again i don't know if you remember from the way first back podcast we we're talking about uh lack of self-esteem as one of these big factors of violence here we go this is where this begins to end up because now your identity is questioned right Cain's identity after his sacrifice was not accepted as questioned. It's like, ah, this is what I do. I raise animals. This is, this is a part of who I am. And this is not being accepted. Unacceptable. I've got to respond. And so that sin lies at the door. It's like, well, what are you going to do with it? Yeah, you can be accepted if, if you will reject the sin. But Cain chooses to make himself accepted by his own hands. He chooses to eliminate the accepted one. He is the rejected and to accept himself as such. And now he's stuck in a position where he has to go and restart constantly. He can never find peace because he's always wandering, even if he's in the same spot. The same thing happens here. Once you start going down this path, then it's like, am I accepted back there? Obviously, I was not accepting of myself there, but now I'm trying to accept myself as it is. And to admit that there's an error requires self-esteem, it requires the ability to confess, it requires the ability to repent, it requires the ability to admit that there's an error and go back. And it's much easier to not admit error. It's much easier to not admit or take responsibility and to just play the blame game. So here we go, blame game on all sides. Um, so that's one aspect of it. Another aspect of it, and, and again, I, I think just the kids getting bored into it, that's not the typical path. I don't think that's the typical path, nor I think is that statistically borne out. You can, I re recommend go out and check out the National Gang Center. They got lots of stats and everything. It's interesting. Um, I was trying to figure out okay, what's going on. This the, the stats they get is really based off police groups that report to them 
and every police department has to decide, was this a gang-related activity or not? So really, it's kind of in uh, beholden to the interpretation of the police officer that was involved with the incident, and whether the police department actually wants to report on it. Either. That, that's a whole other thing. Um, but and I, going back to why youth will join a gang, again, I think typically it's because there is a lack within the home. And this can be a self-feeding cycle. Many times, uh, again, you can have a, a good family context where you have two parents working hard, doing stuff. A lot of times you're coming from a context where there is many economic difficulties. So either both parents are working extremely hard and they're just absent because they're doing everything, everything they can just to stay afloat. And what they make is not a lot. And so they're working their butts off just to stay afloat if, if just not go down slowly. Um, and as such, they, they're not present. They're not there for the lives of their kids. So the kids are kind of on their own, and they're going to start finding somewhere else where they do feel accepted, where they do feel like they're a part of something. Where they do feel like, I can do this. Hey, you know, maybe I can beat someone up. All right, now I feel like I can do something. Look at me, I'm powerful. Uh, whereas my family, I could just sit there and watch TV and watch other people beat other people up. But now I'm, I'm the protagonist now. I'm the one that's doing it. Um, and again, if I'm doing very short-sighted analysis my apologies. Uh, again, I'm, I'm trying to get to the root issues that are that are here and explore those a little bit so we can have a little bit of understanding amongst all of us. Many times, uh, the father is not in the house. And to all of my beloved white evangelical friends, you say, oh, it's a lack of family structure. Fix the family. It's going to be good. It's not that easy. Again, this is a cycle that feeds itself. The fact is, when there's not a father in the house, then yes, the child is going to look for some sort of father figure somewhere, somehow, and maybe times they'll find that on the street. And since these groups are with each other all the time, you have the older ones, which are not much older, teaching and instructing the younger ones. And so they begin to learn from each other and they begin to pick up things. And so now they're, they're getting this, this involved in the cycle of, a, of learning, of apprenticeship, where they're actually beginning to pick up skills from someone else, and they feel like someone's tutoring them, watching over them, that, that feels good. It feels like, yes, I'm actually picking some things up. I like that. That's a good feel. Let's keep doing that. Uh, and so that might be something that they're missing at home. So now they're involved with this, and maybe they're the age where they can reproduce. They find someone, they fall in love, or they don't, and then they have an encounter, and then here comes a child along the way. And now... Uh, the question is, what happens to the father? Many times they're already involved in this, this lifestyle. Good chance they're going to get picked up. They're going to go to jail. And now the child is, again, being raised without a father figure. They return back to the same situation, and there it is. The cycle starts again. Uh, and again, a lot of this stuff is, is drug-related. And then we get this question, like, is it a good idea to actually send people to jail for drug-related offenses? That's a whole different deal. You know, what's the damage that we're doing to society by doing this? Are we, and again, a lot of times this falls much heavier on people of color. I mean, the, if you talk about um, those who are affected by gangs, those who are more likely to fall into gangs, principally there are people of color, but a lot of these cycles are uh, self-replicating cycles. And so to break the cycle, there's got to be something else that's going on there. And to just think, oh, it's those people that are doing that, that that's a very short-sighted, racist and not a productive way to look at it uh and it's, it lacks a lot of empathy that we should all have as christians to understand what's going on there so um uh, so the question is what, what can we do about this and, and there's 
there's more. There's more going on. And, and I don't want to just look at it from the perspective of, okay, how can we solve this? What can we solve? How can we get rid of this problem? Because it, we're talking about people again. This is basic spiritual warfare. We're not fighting people. We're fighting the structures. We're fighting the, the, the world. We're fighting this cosmos that's holding everyone prisoner to this system. And without Christ, everyone, I don't care what social class or structure you're part of, is going to follow the world. You're going to follow the, the structures and the, and the order that's set up because that's all you can do. Without Christ, you, you can't do anything aside from what this world has set up for you. So I think it's just kind of silly to think, wow, yeah, we can. I, I want the people that are in this order to do something that's completely out of that order. That, that doesn't happen. Um, and, and I'm not saying let's take away personal responsibility at all. What I'm saying is, we need to understand how the world works. And if we understand how the world works, as Christians, I believe, we can begin to call out the kingdom in those areas. We begin to call out and sow the seeds of the kingdom in those areas. Where we sow the seeds where, yes, individual lives are transformed, but also the order itself is transformed and brought closer. I wouldn't want to say it's completely brought into the kingdom of God, but closer to the kingdom of God. And I'm not going to say that, yeah, we've done this government policy and this is now the kingdom of God. I'm never going to say that. But I can say it might align much more with the actual values of the kingdom of God where people are treated as individuals and they're treated as um, the children of God that might be out of it, but now they're getting into something more. And I'm not so naive either to say, yay, we've transformed, we've swapped out one system of the world for another system of the world. Yay, congratulations. So now instead of going into gangs, now kids are just going to high school and going to college and then they're getting degrees and they're going on and they're making lots of money. And that's much better. Well, sure, it might mean less suffering. It might mean less violence. It might mean less uh, killings. But all of it without Christ is meaningless. All of it without Christ is just a vapor. And so... Don't think I'm trying to say, yeah, let's just get rid of this so we can replace it with something else that's also of the world. That That's not the idea here. The idea is that the kingdom of God brings transformation, and typically it's going to start down at the margins. It's going to start It's going to start down at the very bottom. That's where Jesus started. It's gonna, he's going to be ministering to the poor, preaching good news to the poor. He's going to be binding up the brokenhearted, healing the sick, proclaiming a year of, of liberty for the captives, and the year of the Lord's good favor. So if we really want to see transformation, we got to start down at what the world considers the bottom, because that's how God's going to transform. And it's going to come from the bottom up. So um, when I'm talking about this, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to say, hey, let's just, I, I think you're understanding what I'm trying to say. So uh, I want to get into, into something that, that is even a more powerful example of just trying to make things disappear, that idea, how that doesn't work, and how that actually will come back and bite us. Um, and that's going to be part two of this podcast. And, and we're going to be talking about uh, one particular gang as an example and some policies. I'm not going to be talking so much about individuals, so we'll talk about some, but policies that were put into place to try to remove this gang <laughs> eliminate the gang and how that actually backfired and now we have a much bigger problem among lots and lots and lots of people and it's coming back so uh we're going to talk about this and then we'll talk about maybe some ideas what we can do 
this next podcast, I'm going to warn you, it's going to be a hard pill to swallow because we're going to go to some places that I didn't even know about. I had no clue about until much later in my life. I had to leave the country to really learn about these things. So I'm, I'm just warning you, get ready because it's, it's not going to be easy. <laughs> it's not going to be easy, but I'm sharing it because I believe it's important and, and we've got to know these things. So <clears throat> be blessed. Do good. I hope to uh, come back to this soon. Love, love, love. Let's see how God loves us all and that the love of God can break all boundaries, break all barriers, and can transform all people into something amazing. Um, so I, I'd encourage you to look up uh, some of Chris Hoke's stuff. It's pretty good. I don't agree with him on everything he says, but that's okay. I don't agree with you either, do I? So be blessed. Do good. Seek the Lord, and we'll talk to you on the flip side. Remember, Jesus crucified amongst two criminals. That's our Lord. That's our Savior. If we're going to bear the name of Christian, then let's bear the same cross as Christ and see where it leads us, right? And amongst the criminals that we too might even be identified as a criminal as well. That would be an honor. Lord bless us.